0: All right, Lead Heads, we are back Talking Lead Show. We appreciate you guys tuning in for another episode. This is 215, and I thought I had misnumbered the uh, episodes. Pepper was going through uh, Google, iTunes, or one of those, and she's like, here's 214, and here's 212. You skipped an episode. Well, apparently they don't put them in order on those, so I'm right on target, man. Uh, that's what I get for listening to people. I was panicking. I was going to have to go through and re re renumber all my episodes. But uh, luckily, uh, that wasn't the case. So, 2.14, last week's episode, we talked about the Glock 5, the new release. We had Corey Jones uh, graciously join us and talk about all the new features of the Generation 5 Glock. So I hope you guys were able to check that episode. And if you didn't, go back, check it out. Uh, and uh, you'll find it very interesting. There's been over 20 changes to that new Glock. Of course, we talked about the top five, the most notable ones uh, during that interview with Corey. So go back, check that out. If you have any questions, uh, shoot us an email at talkingled at gmail.com. We'll be happy to get some answers for you from, from Corey or one of their tech guys on that. So this week, we are going to continue our optics class, Optics 101 with Brady Speth of Ride-On USA. Welcome in, Brady.
1: Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Absolutely, man. And Brady has brought a friend of his along, Charlie Melton. Charlie, welcome in. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Charlie is with Charlie Mike Precision. Uh, That is a, uh, I guess you're a precision shooting school, right?
2: Yes, sir. We teach uh, long range and pistol and carbine courses.
0: Okay. And you're based out of Texas?
2: Yes, sir. Normandy, Texas.
0: Normandy, Texas. And uh, just so happens, Charlie is a retired U.S. Navy SEAL. How many years did you serve? I did 25. 25 years. Thank you for your service. And uh, you did uh, several deployments, um, and you retired as a senior chief petty officer, right?
2: Yes, sir. Very good.
0: When when did you retire?
2: I retired in April of 2015, so a couple of years ago.
0: Okay, so you're about the same time as um one eye Ron Bell. Oh yeah,
2: oh yeah, the <laughs> reaper. We retired about the same time.
0: The reaper. Yeah, I went to his uh, to his um, retirement. That was a good time. Were you there?
2: I was. I wasn't. Okay. Yeah, he, there was yeah, a lot Ron's of people. A, yeah, Ron's a great
0: guy. Yeah, he is. Oh, one eye. Even though he's got one eye, he's a he's an all right guy. <laughs> Try not to hold that against him. Uh, but you have done uh, a lot of training over the years, and you've trained some of the world's top snipers. Uh, you trained Chris Kyle, is that right?
2: Yes, sir. Among uh, among many other great snipers, I was a sniper for most of my time, most of my career, and then uh, yeah, I also taught the sniper school and a couple other instructor instructor billets throughout the years.
0: Very cool. So we couldn't have a better person on to go into our next level uh, of our optics class. Uh, we're going to call this the the intermediate. We started off with the beginner's class where we talked about the scopes and optics themselves, what a 1 to 4, a 5 to 25 by 56 means. We talked about first focal plane versus second focal plane. We're actually going to get into a little more of that as we talk about our next level here with... Charlie and Brady. Uh but before we do that, I hear that Jack Wagon train rolling in, guys. Bring that train in, Gunny.
2: It is time for the talking lead Jack of the Week. So brace yourself, baby.
0: So watch your toes, guys. The gunny's bring the train in. It's getting ready to station. And I think we've got a couple of jack wagons this week that we're gonna throw on the train. Brady, let's start off with yours. You had a pretty good one right there.
1: I was kind of looking to see what what some funny laws are out there. Um, there's a lot of antiquated laws when it comes to guns, but this one caught my attention as a perfect candidate for this segment. So apparently in Section 210 of the New York Agricultural and Markets Law, it prohibits any food or food product packed in a container in the shape of a firearm or for consumption from any package that is in the shape of a firearm. So the state of New York actually went to the point of putting on their books that it is against the law to have anything that's even in a package that resembles a firearm, and this isn't for anything except this is their agricultural markets this, law. This so do we're literally food. talking about food. That's it. <laughs> no food in the state of New York can resemble anything that has to do with the shape of and or in packaging that resembles a firearm.
0: So the is it the packaging itself, or can the food the food can't be in the shape of a firearm either? It, it
1: appears to
2: be both.
0: So
1: both. the food and or the packaging.
0: Yep. Wow. Because I know there are companies out there that uh, I've received one. Uh, there's this chocolate company that makes Glocks. These huge big blocks of chocolate that are in the shape of of a Glock, and it looks just like a freaking Glock. It's the same size and everything. And it even comes in a gun case, like a, a similar type gun case, um, which I thought was pretty cool. And I, th- I think I've seen like AKs and you know, different other chocolate yeah. ones, but. So those they can't even those are illegal in the state of New York.
1: Illegal in the state of New York, and and my favorite comment on here somebody wrote: "If arrest is imminent, eat the evidence." So <laughs> that's how ridiculous this law is. Is you could literally, if, if for some reason you think you're
2: really in trouble, just start eating. I guess
0: just start so, eating it, or they might yeah. shoot you. Otherwise, I guess. <laughs> right? You can't <clears throat> put it on the shelves.
2: It makes you wonder how many man hours went into getting that passed. Then that's, think, that's what kills me you would think new york has some bigger issues than uh, to spend that time have, and money on that
0: to have an irrational products. fear that great that you have to ban anything that even looks like a firearm or a gun i mean that's that's ridiculous right there man that that's like the epitome of the highest level of you know irrational fear that you could have <laughs>
1: I'm with Charlie on this one. I, I think about the backside of that is the literally someone came up with this law and then spent the time to pass this through the New York State Legislature to actually get this put into law. So the uh, I like to think of a lot of other places those man hours could have been used.
0: Right. I mean, not only the time but the money. I'm sure that right. they that they dumped into that too. So yeah, uh, that's crazy. I wonder if any other states have anything like that because obviously these yeah. com- there are companies and. Charlie was talking about one a minute ago too there's uh, liquor bottles that are in you know the shape of I've seen that's the AK when I saw it was a liquor bottle. It was in it was vodka, I think it was. It was oh, vodka. yeah they got a
2: bunch of different ones. they got the Tommy gun and some pistols all kind.
0: Yeah, so those they can't sell those in New York. That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh well, so some more ridiculousness. Um, my jack wagon is there's an article and it's called the New American. Uh, I'm not familiar with this website. you can go to thenewamerican.com. And uh, Tuesday, September the 5th, 2017, which is today, Bob Adelman wrote this article. It says, Anti-gun researcher frightened by how many guns Americans own. So, fear, right there. He's frightened because of the number of guns that are owned by Americans. So the article says the... Uh, Anti-gun group The Trace sent an email blast to its members last week, alerting them that what it said was the danger of an overly and unnecessary armed American citizenry. Jennifer Masia, a member of the Team Trace, pulled some numbers from the Small Arms Survey, which I've never heard of that, which gauges gun stockpiles in the hands of civilians, law enforcement, and militaries around the world. She found that with an estimated two hundred and seventy million firearms owned by everyday Americans, civilians own seventy times more weapons than all police and military services combined. Does that seem plausible to you guys?
2: I think I think there's a reason that uh since we won our freedom from the Brits, there's never been a war fought on our own soil. And I think that's one of the major ones. And uh it'd probably change his mind if if someone ever uh Tried to fight a war on our soil,
0: right? Well, in that you know, World War Two—that's what uh, Tojo said, wasn't it? Was it uh, General Tojo that it's like the reason he didn't come on in was be- because behind every blade of grass is an American with a gun. Yep, yep. exactly. You know, so I mean, that's our.
2: our- our forefathers were some pretty insightful people when they wrote the Constitution.
0: Absolutely. And, and this survey, I mean, who knows? So this group, The the Trace, it goes on in this article. It says, Messiah is an editorial assistant at the New York Times and was a regular contributor to its anti-gun column, The Gun Report. So keep in mind, this information is coming from an anti-gun establishment, this research is. Uh, until it was shut down in 2014. Her source, the Small Arms Survey, is an international anti-gun group, so another uh, anti-gun group getting information from an anti-gun research company, uh, purporting to provide accurate statistics on all aspects of private gun ownership worldwide. Unfortunately, its reputation for accuracy has been tainted, (laughs) (laughs) which much of its... (laughs) Reporting uh, being challenged as misleading or just plain wrong. Uh, in this instance, however, the numbers Messiah dug up from the outfit actually understated the concerns she expressed about how many firearms are owned by those everyday Americans. The real number isn't 270 million, not even close, but it's at least 100 million higher. And even that number is likely too small. Given gun owners' propensity not to be forthcoming, to pollsters asking questions about their gun ownership. So don't don't people who do polls anyway build in a degree of error factor anyway? And they, right. they tend they factor that in. So she's factoring in that's like being taxed on top of tax, you know? She's <laughs> factoring in a fudge factor that's already been factored in. Um, yeah. So again, these these gun grabbers, there are articles that they write. They're skewed. You can't... They didn't even cite their source. I mean, they put the name of the place, but they don't give, like, a link to it or anything like that. So, um, ridiculous. Frightened. You know, just like the the law that New York passed because something's in the shape of a gun. Food, for God's sake. They're outlawing that. I mean, how far are these people going to go? Can't go much farther than out farther than outlawing food. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well you you always have an option where you live. you can always change your residence,
0: you can, but then but then they that's like giving up you know we need yeah. people in these states to fight the good fight to call bullshit on these people and you <laughs> if if they leave, then they're just gonna take over and slowly methodically you know we're we're gonna lose everything so don't oh, well. don't give in to these uh, bullshit research and uh scare tactics that they have. I was reading another article. Um I, don't, I don't, my system went down a second ago and I had it pulled up, but there was a an article I see if I can find it. Uh, Morgan Griffith is dazed and confused on guns and you know I got, I don't want to talk too much about politics, but sometimes this stuff just makes me mad. Um Andy Parker advocate for common sense gun legislation. This is the Huffington post. So, you know, this is going to be a damn, uh, left slant big time. So apparently this Morgan, uh, Griffith, uh, made a, uh, he tried to compare the terrorists using cars as a weapon are the same as the plague of gun violence, which is the, what they, they quote here at the Huffington post. Um, So Griffith is too much of a coward to face his constituents in town hall meetings, so in lieu of that, he writes utter nonsense like this. Latest letter to the editor linking terrorist attacks by cars to gun control. Um, Which I think he's probably talking about that thing that happened in, was it South Carolina? Where the um, white supremacists Uh, were having a a rally against the taking down of a Confederate statue or something Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, and then the car come plowing through
0: there. Right, which we, I think we talked about uh, last week or week before last. Um, so, and I didn't read this guy's letter, so I don't know what comparisons he made, but uh, these guys are, are firing back. Uh, it says his staff found some obscure story on Fox or Breitbert or Guns.com and came up with this idea, but it says, I work closely with gun violence prevention groups, and what he says is simply not true. Our message is consistent and I've seen no spike tied to the events in Europe. Probably talking about car violence spikes. Uh, Morgan makes a ridiculous false equivalent that terrorists using cars as a weapon are the same as the plague of gun violence. It's the same flawed whataboutism we see from him and his ilk time after time. Sure, a hammer or a knife or a toaster, for that matter, can be used to kill someone, but hammers and knives don't kill 90 people a day as tragic as the terrorist uh, incidents involving cars are, making that comparison is flawed and insulting. So there's no statistics on how many people that I'm aware of, there's no statistics on how many people are killed by hammers. Are you guys familiar with any statistics with those?
2: No, sir. Yeah,
0: so I'm, I'm not either. Nope. Uh, it says, but Morgan does make that comparison. His answer is to do nothing to save lives by keeping the wrong people from getting their hands on guns. There's already laws in place to keep wrong people from getting their hands on guns. <laughs> a criminal is a criminal. If if that's the by definition, they're breaking the law. So, uh, no matter what laws you put in place, a criminal is going to break those laws. So, I mean, these guys are just pushing for more and more and more gun control, gun laws, just like New York outlawing anything in the shape of a gun. I mean, that's how ridiculous this is getting. Uh, and then they go on yeah. to say that. Uh, gun sales have plummeted since there's no Obama or Clinton boogeyman coming to abscond with all the guns. So the NRA, so they're accusing the NRA, uh, had an had to invent another reason to stroke the paranoia of an already paranoid. If you watch and listen to the rhetoric coming from Dana Lash, Wayne LaPierre, they encourage violence toward anyone questioning Trump. How? How are every, everything that I've heard come from Dana Lash, is the opposite of that? Is she opposes violence? Uh, she points out that the violence is coming from the left, the left wing, the left side. Uh, these gun grabber groups—they're the ones that are the violent group. Uh, when has Wayne or what has Wayne Lapierre said to encourage violence? I, I don't—I don't get where he's coming off with this. I mean, he just—he just comes out and says it again. Fake news, making stuff up. Uh, it says, the free press are literally in their crosshairs for exposing the nonstop lies. <laughs> Sadly, me reading this post know the truth and simply don't care. Uh, it's because we know it's a lie. You're making crap up. So I had to point that out. Just more more, and more, I hate to say fake news because that's just such a catch term now, but, but that's what they're, I mean, they're just making stuff up. They're just saying stuff to make it sound good and so you'll lean toward their side of things, but... We all know it's bullshit. All right, I'm getting off my soapbox now. I just—that's uh, why I don't read the news—is because it's it's all it's all bullshit, and it's not just the left. Sometimes it's the right too that that will uh, embellish, you know, things. But you know, for the most part, that goes back to what we're saying here on the show. Always be critical in your thinking. Don't just take a news source's word for it. Double, triple check, verify your facts you know these these groups that they're citing with these stats they can be checked you can google them you can find out information about them um, yeah. so just be critical in your thinking and don't just automatically jump to conclusions yeah. like,
2: unfortunately unfortunately that's where most people just watch the news and that's where they form their right. opinions and right they're they take it as
0: gospel and yep. lazy. Yeah. yeah they're lazy they just expect what they say is true which you know back in the day what probably what in the 50s Maybe that was no. true. <laughs> no. No.
1: Not, not so much anymore. Not, not so, so much. much anymore. No.
0: Yeah. People people have agendas, and uh, unfortunately, their words don't mean a whole lot when it comes to the, the media. So, all right, I'm off that soapbox. Let's talk about... Let's, let's go to class. Class is in session. Uh, class 101, part two. And today, we're going to talk about... What comes next? So you've got your scope, okay? You've gone out, you've decided that this is the power you need, this is the size you need, this is the mounting system you need, you're gonna put it on this this rifle, this gun. So how do you go about mounting your new scope, your new optic? So that's that's where we're gonna start off with. So who wants who wants to take the first step?
2: Yep. You want me to go first, Brady?
1: Yeah, I'll throw this right at Charlie because we I do the hardware and making them and putting them together. This is his world and okay. the actual application of and,
0: using them. So. And maybe one step, maybe what we ought to do is talk about, all right, you got your scope, now what mounts do you need? Maybe you need to decide because I don't think we really talked about that, did we? Um, no, I don't great. think we did. Okay. So how do you go about deciding which mount you need, Charlie? So yeah that's
1: a good place to start with tube size and I can tell you from kind of the the my side of it so the first thing you got to do is the main tubes and Charlie has some some other scopes for some long- distance stuff he's doing with some 40 millimeter tubes and but the main consumer size tubes we have is a, a one- inch tube a 30 mil tube and then now we're kind of getting into 34 35 millimeter tubes um, so the first things first is finding a ring that will actually match up with the size of the tube of the scope that you're mounting Um the second phase of that is then is your mounting system does it have a uh, you know is it a rail system on top of your weapon? Um, some certain guns have a proprietary mounting system where the rings lock in and 90 degree turn when you put them in. Um, so finding the actual right ring set that matches up to your rifle and to your scope. Um, that's kind of part one, and then part two is being able to mount it to where you're getting proper eye relief, where the scope's actually positioned to where it's not interfering with the action of the gun first off and then second off to where it's actually mounted to, uh, so you have the ability to use it properly. Um, so you have proper, and this can go into the actual application with Charlie, but so you have proper, you know, where you're actually holding the gun. Um, and eye relief goes to how far away the scope is from your eye. You need it far enough away. You're not getting scope bit. Like we all did when we were youngsters and little scars on our foreheads. Um, <laughs> all the way to where you're getting a full field of view through the scope. So that's kind of the basics for that, but there's obviously a lot more that goes into that. You can buy quick detach rings. You can buy bolt-on rings. You can buy one-piece mounts. Um, so a lot of that's preference, not just uh, application-wise, but what do you want to use it for. Um, we we have everything from bolt-on rings to QD one-piece mounts um, and anything in between. So I'll kind of throw it down to Charlie as far as the actual how you – figure out the mounting and bore sighting and kind of the next steps.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, so as far as the type of mount you want, it really depends on uh, like what, are you gonna put that scope on your gun and leave it on there? Or are you gonna be swapping out thermals and night visions? If, uh, if you're just gonna put the scope on there and leave it, then I would recommend going with a hard mount system. Uh, obviously, if you're gonna be switching scopes and thermals and all that, probably find a good uh, quick disconnect system that works well and can hold a zero pretty close. As far as uh, mount, mounting your scope, uh, when you mount your scope, the most important thing is when you get on your gun, you want to get in a good comfort position, make sure your body position is correct, which you're laying behind the gun with your spine parallel with the barrel. And then you want to put your face on the gun straight up and down. You, a lot of people you'll see can't their head. You want to keep that head straight up and down as you can when you're looking through the scope. Okay. So you want to get on your gun. That's your something I through.
0: do. I, I, I can't my head. So straight up and down
2: yeah you want to try to be straight up and down as possible so you're not creating uh shadows and stuff in your scope but the key is getting on that gun and getting your head in a position where you're completely relaxed and you're not using any muscles so you're not using any muscles in your neck to hold your head up or down or forward or back you just want you want to be able to lay on that thing like a pillow and if you had to go to sleep then once you get in that comfortable position that's when you want to set your eye relief so once you're in your comfortable position you want to take that scope and slide it back to your eye to the point where you can, you're can, you completely relaxed, using no muscles, you open your eye up, you should have a completely round circle with no shadow in it. Okay. So basically, that's kind of your sight alignment on a scope. So if you were shooting iron sights, you would be lining your front and rear sight up with the top of them even and equal amounts of light on both sides. With a scope, having that completely symmetrical round circle with no shadow in it, that's the same as lining your sights up.
0: Okay. So that
2: crosshair, that crosshair becomes your front sight. So once you get that done, and you so do is that, this, you wanna,
0: would this be um, after you've put it on your rifle? You're doing that?
2: Yes, after you get your you mount your scope base to the rail system or let's, however you got it on there. Yeah, let's back
0: up to that that part of it. So when you're putting on um, when you're putting on the the base the the mount, how yeah. do you know where to position that? How tight to tighten it down? Is that something you're getting to? or Am I jumping ahead? Is this just throwing yeah. it on there real quick and then getting that eye? That yeah eye well,
2: but, well before you put it on there you want to get your head on that stock and get it in a comfortable position where you're not using any muscles uh-huh. and then you'll and then you want to mount your scope on whatever position on the rail and you want to give yourself about at least an inch of movement where you can slide it back to set your eye relief so that's the first thing you do is get your head in position and then you'll stick the scope on there and then tighten down your base mounts and then you'll loosen up your uh, scope rings where you can slide the tube forward and back
0: mm-hmm. but you want
2: to be able to slide that thing back to get that com- completely round clear picture okay so yeah once you once you do that you're completely relaxed and the, you might have to adjust your that's why it's important to have a, a stock with an adjustable cheek well especially if you're shooting long distance because mm-hmm. you want to you want to be able to adjust that head where you're just laying your head on there and not using any muscles and you can adjust it to where you have a completely round circle with no shadow in it.
0: Now, do you recommend that people just do this like through a, um, a vice? Are they putting it in a vice or are they just putting it down like they normally would shoot on a, you know, a shooting rest or. You put
2: it down. N- normally,
0: is there some like kind of a, brace you're using to hold the rifle level and yeah, steady. You
2: can, yeah. If you're shooting off a bipod, you can use your bipod monopod or if not, you can put it in a, a vice or a little gun sled, mm-hmm. but, but you want to, um, get in position, and get that thing set up. And then and uh, that comes to the next thing, it's uh, leveling your reticle. So it's not so much important you got the gun level when you're setting your eye relief. So you're just getting uh, that completely round circle with no shadow in it. Once you get that set, then you want to use a level to make sure your gun is level when you uh, level your reticle.
0: Okay, is there's there a, a tool for that?
2: Yeah, there's several different tools. Uh, my favorite's the old-fashioned. It's like a little plastic deal you put on the back with a rubber band around it, and then it has lines off to the side. Uh-huh. So then you can just look through your scope, and it's already level with your rifle if you put it in one of the uh, one of the rail notches. Right. And then you can just rotate your scope until out of your peripheral, you, you can line it up with the lines. That's one way to do it, and then they make scope level kits where you actually put the level on the rifle, make sure the rifle's level on a flat surface, and then you can take it and put it on top of the scope knob or, or flat surface on the scope, and then you just level them both that way. Another okay. way to do it is you can hang a plumb bob, which is uh, basically a line with a weight on it, about mm-hmm. 25, twenty five, twenty, twenty five yards away. Then you can get on your gun, make sure your gun's level, put a little level on a flat surface of it, and then you can rotate your scope to line it up with that plumb bob.
0: That's a good another idea. thing. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Another another thing you can use is like the corner of a building. Obviously, you're assuming that they built the level. But built the building level. Yeah. There's not been right. any uh, erosion or assume that. But yeah, you, so you can use door jams or the edge of a building or anything that's straight up and down and level.
0: I've used window yep. seals before.
2: Yep. Yep. Yeah. But then again, you're assuming that somebody built the right level. which <laughs> <laughs> yeah. isn't always the case. True. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So basically once you get that mounted, you got your eye relief set and your crosshair is level and you want to tighten everything down. And what I do is I'll go back through and lock tight all the bolts on my scope and mounts. Cause there's nothing worse than doping your gun in and then your scope comes loose and you got to start all over.
0: Now, isn't there, um, limits to how tight you need to go? And
2: yes, there's a uh, certain foot pounds and, uh, they make little kits you can get with the torque wrenches for them. Yeah. Actually, uh, Leopold makes a cool little kit called pickup, pickup sticks, I think, or fix it sticks,
0: fix it sticks. Okay.
2: Yeah. It's a little kit and it actually comes with the, with the torque wrenches because your torque gets you bolted to the base and the torque for your ring, Mounts no, is different. Okay, um,
1: and actually, to jump on on Charlie right there, that's a, one of the number one things we see when somebody will call into a customer service and say that their scope's not holding zero. And the majority of the time, we can track that back to the fact that they're either the mount isn't tight to the gun or the, the rings aren't tight to the scope. And so every time they shoot, they zero it, they recoil, the gun happens, and it jumps around on them. And, and then they complain their scope's not holding zero. Yeah. Um, and the majority of the time, it has something to do with the way they mounted those and it's not tight.
0: Gotcha. So yeah. uh, your scope manufacturer, uh, whoever you buy your scope from, and like you said, right on, they put, you guys put how much torque that that you need to do right
1: yeah for the for our mounting for all of our ring sets there's a on our website you can go and find the torque specs for each each screw that you're supposed to be tightening it to
2: okay yeah correct me if i'm wrong brady but it's pretty much the same for all scopes
1: yeah most of them uh most of the scopes can handle it so it's if the ring manufacturer or something has something different but yeah honestly most of them are you know, somewhere in the ballpark between 15 and 25 um inch pounds yep
2: and the important thing on that is when you're tightening those scope rings down, depending on whether you got a, a four bolt or a six bolt system, you wanna just like when you're putting your tire on your car, there's a pattern you wanna tighten them in. So yep. you do the old crisscross pattern that way you're tightening it down nice and even and not tweaking the
0: scope. Good point. So uh, what you're saying there is kind of start at the top left, then go to the bottom right and then yep. and then go to yep. another one of the corners and do the other corners like that. Now yep, the old crisscross pattern. Now When you're doing um, front and back, do you do like all the front first and then the back, or do you alternate? Do the top left, back right, and then go to the very go to your back mount and do the top left, back right?
2: Yeah, when I'm set, when I'm setting my scope, once they get the eye relief where they want it and everything's set up, I'll I'll tighten like on the front ring. I'll tighten the top right and the bottom, or the top left and the bottom right. And then I'll come back to the back and do the top right and bottom left just to hold it in place. Okay. And then, and then it doesn't really matter which one you tighten first. Just you so long as long as you got it locked in place. Okay. Just Makes pick sense. one and do one
0: at a time. Okay. So do yep. two on the front, then two on the back, and then finish them off. Yeah,
2: I'll, yeah, I'll actually do that, get it in place. Then I'll go ahead and snug snug all the bolts down, just get them snug, and then go back and set your torque on them.
0: Okay. And that's the, the ring um, mount? Yep, the ring mount. So what about the uh, the rail mounts?
2: Yeah, on your base mount, you want to go ahead and uh, you can go ahead once you get it set where you want it. You can go ahead and torque them down.
0: Okay, so you're doing those first, right? You're torquing those down first, and then you're going up and doing your rings, or does it matter? Yeah,
2: once you once once you get your scope set up where you got some play in it, you want to be able to move it forward and back, Mm -hmm. or back at least back an inch, so you can set your uh, eye relief. Once you got it in a good position with that, you can go ahead and torque those base mounts down, and then your remaining adjustment will be done with your rings.
0: Okay. And uh, so then, is, is it the same no matter if you're doing a bolt rifle or a semi-auto, well, like a you know AR? Yeah. Same. Same yep. thing. Okay.
2: Yeah, one one note on that is like where the bolts go in. Obviously, if you shoot, you want to put those bolts probably or anything sticking out, protruding. Try to put those on the opposite side of where your action is ejecting your round, so the rounds don't hit them or get caught on them. Yep,
0: that's a good point, Brady. But on the um the magnifier. For the red dot? Mm-hmm. Is, isn't it designed to swing out to the right? Um, you could do either
1: or because technically you don't want it to block your f dot, your, uh, off eye. So if you're a right-handed shooter, you want it to swing to the right so then that way it doesn't block your left eye when you're shooting both eyes open with the red dot.
0: Okay, see, I did mine or- the opposite because I didn't want the shells coming front out your, your shells yeah i didn't want the shells coming out and hitting it it's designed to go either
1: or so yeah. there's no wrong way to do it right um,
0: and i just switched a it lot over. of it
1: just you kind of want to do opposite of so that way when you have your red dot open uh you're shooting a red dot you have both eyes open you don't have uh the magnifier kind of flopped in front of your left
0: eye yeah so well, i can't <laughs> see on my left eye anyway so it doesn't matter <laughs> there you go yeah. so you're good to go yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> it didn't affect me either way so yeah okay.
2: Okay. Yeah, one other thing I didn't mention is uh, when you're setting your eye relief, you want to make sure your scope is on its max power. Oh, okay. So, so if you have a 20, 25 power scope, you want to have it on twenty-five power when you're setting your eye relief.
0: That's a good point. I did not know that. Okay. Well, because
2: that way, if you're if you're if you got no shadow on max power, then obviously it's going to get better as you dial the power down.
0: That makes sense. So I might need to then, go back and redo mine, but. My 5x25 my was still fine on the, the high power, so I got lucky, I well, guess. <laughs> are, you, are you good
2: then? Well, yeah, and then the other thing is when you're focusing your your crosshairs and your, your actual uh, parallax focus, you want to make sure you uh, when you focus that crosshair, like I said before, that crosshair becomes your front sight, so the entire time you're shooting, your focus is always on the crosshair. Just like shooting iron sights, your focus is on your front sight. When you're shooting a scope, your focus will be on the crosshair. So you want to make sure you got that crosshair crystal clear. You can see the numbers and tick marks in it like crystal clear. And nice. then after you get that done, then you can adjust your your uh, scope focus, downrange focus.
0: Okay. And you said parallax focus. What is that? Explain that. That's
2: that, that's your main scope focus. The one it's usually on the left side of your scope. Or some of them will have them on the front too. Your red focus right is usually yeah. located on the back of the scope.
1: So right there on your on the gun you're holding right there, Marty. So you have a fast focus eyepieces on the back. So the back of the scope, the closest to the shooter's eye, there's a focus, and that's more for your actual eyesight and to correct for any eyesight issues people have.
2: That's this, basically um, so, your crosshair focus. This, yep. So you can turn
1: that.
0: Okay. So we're and that focuses up. Uh, just for reference, guys, we're yeah uh, sorry a five by twenty-five mod seven, uh, right on. So okay. and then.
1: Uh, Yep, so that's, uh, that's your crosshair focus. Then on your left side up there, on this particular scope, it, there's an illumination and a parallax control. They're both built into the same, same area. Right. So the inside one that has actually yardage numbers on it, yep. um, that is your parallax control that he's referencing right now.
0: Okay, so what is that used for? Because I was as I was shooting this weekend, I saw that. I didn't make any adjustments to that because I didn't know what that would do. I didn't know what that was going to affect.
1: So the biggest effect it does is it, it, for a lack of a better term, is you adjust, or lack of a better explanation, is you adjust yardages out. So the further out you go, it helps to continually keep the, the crosshairs, what, what Charlie was kind of referencing. It keeps your crosshairs and your picture both in focus. So okay. parallax is actually the...
0: Go ahead. What that? I was going to ask, so it helps with focusing?
1: Yeah, so it keeps everything clear as you zoom in and as you start looking further out. Um, parallax is actually, a good way to explain it is... When you're driving down the road at 50 miles an hour, everything right outside your window is moving really fast, but everything really far away out your front window doesn't look like it's moving, yeah. yet you're still going 50 miles an hour no matter what. So technically, they're all moving at the same speed. It's just that stuff next to you looks like it's moving a lot faster than the horizon does. Okay. So para- that, is the de- that is kind of a good example of what parallax is. So to try to control how different things look up close versus far away, we try to it's actually a slight little minute movement. of so the lenses that keep everything in focus. So that way you don't get distortion okay. as you're changing yardages. Yeah. Um, and you'll actually change that parallax and you can see on there, it goes from 10 to 15 to a hundred to 300 all the way out to technically what's infinity. Um, so you would adjust that depending on how far out you're shooting and how far out you're looking.
0: Okay. So as I was shooting, that would have, uh, when I had it at max power at 25, when I was at, uh, was that like 320 or something, I think was the furthest I went. That would have yep. made it sharper. It would have. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was Basically, afraid that it would have thrown off. I was afraid that it was going to throw off my sight where, you know, I sighted it in at, you know, 120 or whatever. Yeah. I thought right. it, it might, it might jack that up. So that's not the case.
2: No, nope, nope. That's just your focus. Basically a simple way to put it is that rear one that focuses your crosshair and yeah. then that forward side one focuses your target. Okay. Easy, easy way to put it.
0: Okay. Well, good. Now I know. Cause I was like, I know I could probably get that. I thought it might've been my eyes, but I could, I could've got it. Even, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was perfect. I mean, it would look great, but I could have made it even better, uh, clear yeah. with that. Okay. With the parallax. Yeah. That
2: doesn't, that, yeah, that's focus doesn't affect your, uh, zero at all. Okay. Although if, it, if they're not focused, it will throw your, obviously your sight picture off.
0: Right. Okay. Now, do you find the parallax, um, just on your higher powered scopes? is that on the, uh, the one to fours also
1: uh we on a one to four it's a set parallax uh, we don't start actually having a parallax adjustment until we get to our two to seven scope um, mainly because you don't really you're not looking far enough away to need it enough say a one to four power um, and there's also not as much distortion because you're only zooming in at four times versus some of the higher end scopes where okay. you have your more zoom will actually distort the to where you need to be able to clean that up
0: gotcha. Okay. Well, that answers my question about parallax. I mean, that's that's a good, uh, that was something we needed to talk yep. about because we hadn't talked about parallax yet.
1: And kind of from a scope manufacturing perspective, um, that's something that you do find in, in the higher end or better made scopes. Um, there's a lot of scopes out there kind of in that lower price point that doesn't include that. Mm-hmm. So that's something to look for when you're purchasing a scope is it's, it's definitely an extra feature. Um that helps when you're starting to shoot out past two, three, four, five hundred yards. 500 yards. Yeah. So it's definitely something that helps with that. So, um, not all scopes include a parallax adjustment. Um, they set their parallax at a hundred yards and then you just kind of take what you get. So right. that's definitely a feature to look for when you're, when you're purchasing.
0: And right on USA does have that.
1: We do Yeah, We bug, do it bug. in every scope we have mod three and up.
0: Very cool. All right. Yep. So, so Charlie, now what, what's next?
2: So, that yeah, pretty much that's it. Your scope's set up, and you're ready to go. So you're ready to so go key,
0: blast some targets. So,
2: yeah, the key points on that is making sure your head's completely relaxed on the stock. You're not using any muscles to hold your head up. Mm-hmm. And then you got, and you got a completely round circle with no shadow in it. And make sure your crosshair is crystal clear, and then you can focus your target to where it's clear. Okay. Hey, make you- sure your uh, all your bolts are tightened down, and I, like I said, I've lock tight all my stuff to make sure it doesn't come loose. Yeah, and, and use I, the
0: manufacturer it, specs on torque. Don't over torque it because you could do yeah. some damage. You could you definitely were.
2: do some damage. Make sure you torque them to specs, and then use that crisscross pattern, and you're good to go. Ready to ready to start sending rounds down range.
0: What's your preferred um, mount?
2: My preferred mount.
0: Yeah, do you like the QDs? Or do you like the the? It, it depends if I'm non-QD. setting
2: up. If I'm setting up something that's going to stay on there permanently, I like the non-QD mounts just for the fact that a lot of QD mounts, if you take them off and put them on, it changes your, uh, you got to re-zero your rifle on most cases. There's some companies that guarantee to hold it. But uh. yeah, but yeah if I'm going to be swapping, if I got a gun, I'm going to be putting night vision on or thermal and it's very handy to have a QD mount. Yeah.
0: yeah. But you're you're known for your long-distance precision shooting. And oh, by the way, aren't you going for a world record? Yes, sir. At the end of the month, I'm going to
2: go for 4,900 as of now, unless somebody breaks that before the end of the month. (laughs)
0: 4,900.
2: Then I I, will have to go a little farther.
0: That's 4,900
2: yards,
0: y'all. Right. (laughs) So, how? Clarify that. How far is that in miles?
2: Well, three miles is 5260, so it's about a little over two.
0: What do you? What kind of scope are you using for that to see that target? I have
2: a 52 power scope.
0: Fifty-two
2: about, hour. Yeah, about, about an hour. <laughs> and like uh, Seth was talking about earlier, like the um, the tube sizes. That's the one he was saying has a forty millimeter tube. Yeah, it lets a lot of light in, and it's good for shooting out that far. I mean, it, even when you get out three miles, it's not like you can really see the bullet hole or anything. But
0: right. What size target know. are you shooting at that that far?
2: We're gonna do a forty-eight inch target. Okay. Just yeah, but hopefully we'll hit it in the middle.
0: Hopefully. <laughs> now is that part of being holding the records you gotta hit in the middle? Or you just gotta hit no, the target?
2: I think you just gotta hit the target. Okay. There's really no uh stipulations on it.
0: So so before we get into uh sighting in, I'm I'm intrigued uh by this um forty nine hundred yard shot. What what rifle are you using? What kind of rifle are you using in ammo?
2: I'm using a four oh eight Tejas. So it's basically like the Shy but souped up. Mm-hmm probably gets another four or five hundred feet per second nice. and then obviously obviously there's a couple of different attachments you got to put on your scope to get the the minutes of angle to come ups so there's different ways to do that you can that's one thing with the scope like when you zero your scope at 100 yards like say you got 80 minutes of angle adjustment in your scope you're pretty much wasting like the bottom half so that'd be a good thing is to make it invent a scope where you don't waste that the bottom half right of the, the right minutes. so yeah you get you can Fix that by putting a rail on there, like a rail with adjustment, where you can get another 120 minutes of elevation. And then they, Techcom HQ makes a, a little periscope of that, but you can put on the front of your scope, and that'll give you you can adjust it two to 400 minutes of angle elevation. So.
0: <laughs> Which is crazy. Uh, so basically, you're just you're aiming straight up and it <laughs> it's dropping that bullet. There's a, a pretty good arc to it. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, when I shot the three mile shot, we didn't we didn't get all our parts in, so I didn't have that rail. So yeah, I was basically aiming at clouds in the sky. <laughs> oh <my laughs> like God. Uh,
0: That's crazy.
2: You so, know how it's around? <laughs> what's
0: what's the velocity you're getting on the the four
2: hundred eight? I think it's coming out about 3,200 feet per second.
0: Okay. Are you? Well, I'm sure you're using some kind of specialized ammo, right?
2: Yes, uh, it's a. Uh, Custom loaded ammo, and they actually have to turn the brass down, turn down all the uh, projectiles.
0: And what's that mean for our, our listeners? Tell them what that means. Turn it down.
2: So there's not a whole lot of uh, 408 projectiles available. So basically, they have to custom take and turn down the projectile on a lathe for each round.
0: So they're cutting. That's What round are you taking and cutting it down?
2: Uh, I believe he's using the 408, or, or or he uses a 50 cal and then turns it down.
0: Okay, gotcha.
2: No. And then he has a lot of other little special things he does, too. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Which, that's your secret, right? It's your secret sauce. can't talk about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, do you get the Guinness Books of World Record out there while you're doing this? No,
2: we just got a bunch of film crews and uh, just a bunch of people to confirm it and videotape it. And,
0: and they accept that? Tape. They don't have to have a person out there for that?
2: No, I don't think. I mean, it's not like the Guinness World Record. It's just the, Oh,
0: so nowadays. you're not going for the Guinness? You're just... You're yeah, just,
2: nowadays it's just social media.
0: <laughs> I got you. I got
2: you. Uh, yes. So we'll have three or four people confirm the distance, and then it'll all be videoed. And
0: now, is there sure that is everything's legit? certain climate that you want to be in while you're doing this? Is it a better part of the country to do this in than another?
2: Yeah, I think eleva- elevation will help. We're doing this one up in Salt Lake City, so we'll have a little elevation so the air will be a little thinner. So I think that'll help out. And are you shooting uh,
0: level for the most part? Does it have to be level or are you shooting downhill, shooting uphill?
2: Yeah, we're going to shoot uh, level on that one. The the three-mile shot we did, we were at sea level, but the rounds are coming up about 6 six to 20 yards short. So mm. we're, we're loading some hotter rounds and going to try it again.
0: Right. But but to be considered for the world record as far as level goes, I mean, you got to be level with the target. Can't It can't be below you or above you or you want it – uh, I don't
2: think I don't think it matters as long as you got the distance.
0: Okay. So that doesn't come into play then, as far as your your angle no. of the target. Okay.
2: No, nope. As long as you can see the target, which is pretty hard to do. I would think shooting.
0: Right. I would think shooting downhill would uh, give you an advantage. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Uh not really. Not really. Gravity yeah, still works the same way. It just changes your your zero a little bit. Right. Yeah, okay. when you're shooting angles, it, until you break 30, 45 degrees, it doesn't really affect it too much. So.
0: Okay. Well, then let's let's talk about sighting your gun. Is. So you got your you got your mount on, it's snug, secure, got it, um, turned the right way, leveled out. So let's say we're shooting. I mean, most people are shooting the five-five-six. Let's let's talk about sighting in a, a five-five-six. So what do you, what's our next step?
2: Yeah. So once you got everything mounted and you're ready to go. Uh, important part is using the same ammo. Obviously, everything changes, which is important to keep a shooter's log. So when your temperature changes, your elevation, what part of the world you're shooting in, all that changes your, your dope on your gun. So it's very important to keep a shooter log. So every time you shoot in a different condition or a different location, yeah. you want to log down your dope and so def- wind and all that stuff.
0: Define that dope.
2: <clears throat> dope is basically what your come-ups would be out to... Every, I do mine every 100 yards. Some people get down every 50 yards. Mm-hmm. The rest of you go shoot your yard lines in those conditions, and then you write down what your come-ups are. And like I said, those come-ups are going to change depending on the weather, the humidity, temperature, where you're at in the world, um, elevation. All that changes it, where the light's coming from. Everything affects that the bullet flight. So that's why it's important to keep a logbook every time you shoot and log that stuff down. And then hopefully when it comes and you've got to make that first shot hit, you can look back through your logbook and find some similar conditions that you've already shot in and that'll get you pretty closer on target.
0: So where do you yeah. recommend starting, um, sighting it in at? So another, keep would, in mind, this is a one-on-one class. This is beginners, you know, just people. <laughs> know.
2: I mean, I always, sight, I'll sight my rifles in at a hundred yards. and that way. I mean, between a and 300 yards is really not that much of a change. I mean, it's like a two or three inch difference normally on most rounds. Mm-hmm. So if you want, you can sight in at two or three hundred you can zero your gun at two or three hundred yards. And then, you know, if you're shooting less than that, you just got to aim a couple inches lower or higher, but I'll, I'll sight all mine in at a hundred and then, uh, and then write down, right down the elevation changes every hundred yards. And that way, if you're hunting, whenever you, whenever you lays your target, you, you can look through there and dial your scope in. Okay. It should be on target.
0: So um let's talk about that the hunting hunting rifle versus your uh, cuz most people will have like a bolt action, you know, gun that they're going to take hunting. Um does it differ, you know, as far as that goes like a, you know, a 270 versus the 556 or 223, same principles apply?
2: Yeah, same principles, but yep. obviously. Obviously the ballistics on the bullets are a little different. Yeah. And if you're if it's a hunting rifle, like most people that hunt, if you're not shooting past 300 yards, you can zero your gun at 100 or two or three, and then you can just shoot holds. You don't really need to dial in for that close. Mm-hmm. When you start getting yeah, that past five, six hundred yards, that's when you want to dial your dope in.
1: The I uh, was just on that too is most of our from the uh, optics manufacturer side, most of our optics come for hunting or, or cap turrets. Anyways, um, kind of what Charlie was saying is. You're, you're zeroing at 1, 2, 300 yards, and then you're really just using the lines within your reticle for holdovers because um, you either don't have enough time to dial it in or you're really not taking shots out. Like he was saying, you're not taking long enough shots, so you're not actually ever you know, going to your elevation turret and dialing in any adjustments. You're just using holdovers.
0: Mm-hmm. Kentucky windage? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so um, So start at 100 now, a lot of places, though you know, they've got ranges, indoor ranges, that our subscribers, listeners um, will go to, and they obviously don't go out to 100. 50 usually is, you know, kind of average. Um, if somebody's sighting in at 50, what do they need to take into account? Let's say they get out, you know, they go hunt, they sight in at 50. Um, what kind of performance can they expect, let's say, from a, a 270, um, if the the shot that they've got to about 100
2: so if you or side 200. in at 50 if you side in at 50 obviously when you shoot at 100 you're going to be hitting a little low okay
0: that's what i'm getting at so you side at 50 you can expect that the further back you're going to you're going you're going to be hitting lower is that right
2: yep because as you go out the bullet rises you're going to have to dial your dial
0: your scope up okay so what what's next you're the teacher, man. Come on, teach. <laughs> teach me <laughs> something. <laughs> We're psyched I guess, in. You know, I mean, is that it? Is it that simple?
2: Well, you can't – there's there's nothing that – nothing can replace going out and shooting the yard lines every 100 yards or every 50 yards.
0: You can uh, – got all the
2: computer programs and stuff, and those are pretty accurate nowadays. So once you get your 100 yards zero, you can go on those computers and get pretty close, and they work pretty good out to 1,000. Once you get past that like I said when the conditions change and all that computers take account for most of that so the one thing that computers can't do is call wind and that's kind of an art uh, you you got to just experience and know what to look for teaches how to do that and then keeping that logbook and logging down logging your rounds and what your wind calls are that's, that's that's how you get better at calling wind mm-hmm. then you can look back through your notebook and see what the wind was doing and see what your adjustments were and then how far it moved the bullet
0: what are things to look for to help gauge wind? As well, say you're out in a field, you know, and you got a three hundred yeah, yard you know, target out there. What do you What are you looking at to gauge the wind?
2: Yeah, at three hundred yards, um, you got to have a hell of a wind to really affect your bullet that much. Okay. The, the wind don't really start affecting it too much till you get out to the five six hundred yard range.
0: Okay, I'm at five hundred uh, yards. Use, Let's say I'm at five hundred yards.
2: Yep. Yeah. The best thing to use is like the vegetation around you. You can look at the grass um look at the grass the leaves on the trees the mirage which is the heat coming off the ground if it's hot enough out there and you're getting a mirage mm-hmm. you can look at that but a lot a lot of times when people use the mirage they don't realize like you might be seeing the mirage 100 yards away when you're shooting at 500 so you usually see the closest mirage so it's not a very good gauge The best thing to do is find some vegetation at the yard line you're shooting and then uh, to see what the wind's doing and then you can always have wind changing directions on the way to the target too so once you get that first round, it's just very imperative that you see where that first round hits to make adjustments for your second
0: round. Hit. Right. What uh? What if you're shooting over water, across water? Is that same same principles with that, or is there a different different way you need to shoot?
2: Yeah, same principles. And uh, actually, with water, you can yeah you can use the chop the chop, which way it's or it splashes and. It's so obviously easy to see your first round. if You're shooting over water. <laughs> right. It's easy. That's easy, easy. to find out there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I know a lot of places will have like ponds and things like that. Some of these fields that I go and hunt in, you know, there's, there's ponds. Yeah. Maybe oh, yeah. a river or something that I'm shooting across.
2: Yeah. Obviously, if you're shooting early in the morning or evenings, you're gonna get some. Uh, you get fog and stuff coming off there. It could definitely impede your uh, your vision on the target.
0: Yeah. And I assume fog would affect your um, your travel also your bullet travel,
2: yeah, it's kind of the humidity thing, so A little thicker air, yep,
0: cool. Well, what else do we need to talk about as far as siding and mounting goes? does that pretty much cover everything, or we uh we need to talk about something else? I think that covers it
1: up to kind of. Honestly, for the most of the majority of people shooting that are only one, to you know, 50 yards indoor, one, two, 300 yards out, outside, um, you know, if you're not actually getting out there and getting time behind the rifle, that, this is just repetition. Um, I've been shooting for over 25 years now, but it wasn't until recently that I started meeting some of these guys where now I'm keeping log books, now I'm actually, like, keeping data on on, on different shots, um, and that has a huge difference in it now. Before it was – exactly what charlie said you shoot you, you see your miss you know, kentucky windage it and you have a second shot hit where it's nice actually now stepping up and using some of the data that i have from our different rifles and our different scopes and having first shot hits right away is kind of nice
2: right yeah the, the most important thing learn how to shoot good is you we teach the seven principles of, of marksmanship so the way you become good at shooting is you practice those seven principles you practice them correctly and perfect every time and then through repetition and perfect practice you'll you you end up building muscle memory and muscle memory is what you want when you're shooting because uh muscle memory that when you're under stress or whatever your body automatically reacts so you're not really thinking about what you're doing the way you build muscle memory is through perfect practice and repetition
0: and what are you what are your seven principles
2: the seven principles of marksmanship is uh your body position is one And then your grip, and then sight alignment, sight picture, trigger control, follow through or second sight picture, and breathing. So you practice all seven of those correctly and practice them perfect every time you pull the trigger. You basically want to set up a mental checklist. So every time you're shooting that guy, you're going through your mental checklist, making sure you're doing everything the same every time, and you're doing it correctly.
0: What's your preferred way to to shoot at distance? Um, Laying down? Um, yeah, the most, the, most accurate,
2: the most accurate position to shoot from is the prone, which is laying down behind your rifle. It, that's the most stable, accurate way to shoot.
0: Are you a? Uh, do you subscribe to the school of laying straight behind it or at forty-five degree angle?
2: Yes, uh, a lot of people I know, even the army men, Those little plastic army men you get—they <laughs> haven't <them laughs> At I think they they angle. come from Israel. right?
0: I think that's where those <laughs> yeah. that are made in Israel. What,
2: what if it, well, if you look at it like this, when a gun shoots, you know barrel whips. So that barrel is whipping straight up and down. So your body position is very important in what happens when that gun fires. So if you're laid off at a 45-degree angle, especially if you're shooting higher caliber weapons, when that round goes through that barrel and it's lifting up, if you're at a 45 degree angle, then you're you're not controlling that recoil straight back. So it's basically every time it recoils, it's going to go off to your right side. So it's very important that you're straight behind the gun, your grip. You're not influencing that that gun at all. You're not pushing on it with your grip. You you are straight behind it. That way, the recoil's coming straight back, and it's not causing that muzzle to move left or right at all.
0: Mm. Why do those crazy Israelis uh, do the 45? <laughs>
2: I don't I don't know where that came from. You don't know. Where that came from. <laughs>
0: They just wanted to be different.
2: I mean, you can get away with it if it's a lower caliber weapon, but it's just better to be straight behind the gun. Keep yeah. your spine parallel with the barrel.
0: All right. So uh, that pretty much uh, wraps up our uh, part two of 101. Um, before Charlie gets too, mu- too much into to uh, talking about the holdovers and, and that type of stuff, windage, that's going to be our part three. Uh, that'll be uh, 101 Part 3 of Optics, and um, we'll get Charlie back, and we'll, talk, we'll get into those seven principles and uh, talking about the windage and the holdovers and all that for you guys. But now, it's time for the Talking Lead. Facts to fight the Mists. And I know in our, our Part 1, we talked about first focal plane versus second focal plane. Uh, but Charlie's got a little more on that for us. So, uh, Charlie, talk about that as far as distance um, marksmanship shooting goes.
2: Yeah, back in uh, back when I went through sniper school, which has been the early 90s, um, second focal plane was always used for distance shooting. And uh, I kind of agree with it. Now everybody seems to want to shoot first focal plane, which is fine. It works good out to 1,000 yards. But I think when you start getting beyond 1,000 yards, that uh, – depending on your reticle and the size of it you get to that point where you can't aim as precise your reticle ends up covering up the more of the target right than it needs to
0: and then and Brady just recap our, our listeners on first focal plane versus second focal plane what the difference is
1: yeah so second focal plane what Charlie was just talking about um, the target is magnified as you zoom your scope in but your reticle stays the same size no matter what your zoom is set on. Um, and at first focal plane reticle, your target and your reticle zoom, and they maintain the same ratio throughout the entire zoom range. So it appears that the reticle grows as you zoom in. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: what's really happening is the target and the the reticle are zooming at the same uh, at the same ratio, so they stay the same throughout no matter what magnification you're on. Um, a couple key features of that are um, <laughs> your your set holdovers. And a second focal plane are the most accurate at highest year, highest power. So if you have a 25 power scope that's a second focal plane, it's going to be the most accurate at 25. Um, and then, but at, at a first focal plane, you it has the same accuracy, same ratio throughout the entire zoom range.
0: Right. So uh, what, what Charlie was pointing out was that uh, the second for long distance uh, is better because that that reticle your dot could cover up your target
1: yeah so unless that the the, the reticle is designed properly where it's actually small enough to not as as it grows to the zoom range to not actually cover up your target at distance yeah um that and that's kind of where a problem lies is some reticles are too big to start with yeah so then as they maintain that ratio through the zoom range on a first focal plane by the time you're looking out there at that tiny little target at, you know, 1,500 yards away, your reticle's taking up the entire target, so it's hard to be precise. Yeah. Um, with that second focal plane, the reticle stays that same size no matter what, but your target will get bigger and bigger and bigger, so um, your reticle actually takes up less of the target as you zoom in, because your reticle stays the same size, but the target grows.
0: Is there a way to do both in a scope?
1: Not that I'm aware of. Um, it it has to do with where the reticle is actually located, either before or after the the zooming mechanism. Uh-huh. Um, so you would have to have two different types of reticles, and or reticle essentially would have to be placed in two different places inside the
0: tube. Man, um, if you could design a scope that you could switch <laughs> between first and second focal planes, huh? Yeah, <laughs> <Huh? laughs> <laughs> we have a
2: and get the full 80 minutes of travel without right to the bottom out.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes here, fellas. Keep talking. <laughs> there you go.
0: There you go. So, so that's a good um fact to fact. because a lot of people, I mean, they just automatically think first focal plane is the best way to go, but there's certain instances, like you're saying, especially when you're at distance and 500 or, or more, to where that first focal plane could actually uh, obscure your precision,
1: right. And and my, my kind of opinion on that is, one, if you're going to run a first focal plane, the, the reticle needs to be designed correctly. You can't just throw any type of reticle in there and expect it to work as a first focal plane reticle, uh, mainly in the size of it. Um, and two, get some training on it. Uh, there are a lot of really good features to a first focal plane reticle um, as far as ranging and range estimation that you can do with it because it does maintain that aspect ratio through the entire zoom range. Um, but most of the people out there asking for a first focal plane don't know how to properly use it. They haven't been trained on it. They don't actually know why they have it. They just like it. Um, they definitely have become in vogue in the last three or four years. Um, I still predominantly shoot with a second focal plane, even though we offer first focal planes, just what I'm comfortable with. Um, so a lot of it has to do with kind of how you're trained and what your comfort level levels are. But, um, and then picking the proper scope for the application, I think is a big part
0: of it. Yeah. Very good. Um, good fact to fight the myth, Charlie. Appreciate that. Uh, we've got sure. a second one um, that I guess Charlie would be best to, uh, <laughs> and, and we'll, we'll let Brady set it up. Um,
1: so, yeah, so I'll introduce this one. Um, so, Charlie is, what are you, Charlie? 6'4, six 6'5, six six something, not a small man. Um, <laughs> So whenever I introduce Charlie to any of my friends or anybody that I know within the industry, the first thing, and I actually think one of the guys that works for me, the first thing out of his mouth was, holy shit, how do you hide you this guy? Yeah. Um, and I think the first, and so this is a really good one for this segment, is it's it really isn't about the size of the person. Everybody thinks that a sniper has to be, you know, five 5'6", 120 pounds, so they can kind of hide, but it's not. It's more of the practice of, and I'll let Charlie definitely dig into this, but it's the practice of camouflage, the practice of movement, and discipline of movement um, that really come into that. Not really the size of the guy. So, right. but yeah, that's the that's the first one I always get. It's like, no way, there's no way he's a sniper. He's doing six five. So, mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll throw that at Charlie though.
2: Yeah. So, so the key principles of stalking, obviously, dead space is your friend. So, uh, dead space. Just explain to guys that don't know what it is. Like, say say I'm walking towards you and there's a tree in between us. If I get behind that tree and stay behind it where you can't see me and walk towards you, then you won't be able to see me. So you can use that tree as dead space and walk. You can pretty much walk right up on somebody without them seeing you. If you stay behind it, same, you can use the same with elevation and all that too. So between dead space and then backdrop, you always want to have a backdrop behind you that's bigger than you are, obviously Yeah. Uh, when you set up your final firing positions and stuff. But yeah, this your size really doesn't matter. The biggest thing people catch uh when you're in stocking is movement. So you gotta be very disciplined in your movement and then using that dead space and backdrop and uh yeah, you could you could hide a bus if you got enough of both of those. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well I mean that's like, that's proof of like putting with yourself. I mean you're like you said you're six four 6'5", um,
2: yeah, six, six, 260. Yeah.
0: 260. Of course. So you probably weren't two sixty back in the day, were you?
2: No, I was probably around two. 2240 nice. i was actually one hundred eight. when i went to seal training i was 180
0: pounds are you serious oh, oh my god dude you could have oh, you definitely oh, could have hid by time behind a, a blade of grass <laughs> yeah, yeah
2: they're kidding uh, uh, that's yeah. pretty good exactly
0: but uh i mean like we said earlier you, you trained chris kyle which chris kyle was another big dude um as well oh, yeah, there's a
2: there's quite a few big guys that are snipers.
0: But that was another yeah. fact to fight the myth that we had a while back with um I think Ron was on the show is when people think of Navy SEALs, they think of mm-hmm. little five foot ten, you know, hundred and fifty pound, hundred and sixty pound dudes. But damn, I mean you, uh Ron Bellin, um seal one, uh Dwight Settles,
2: uh <laughs> Yeah. Marcus Marcus. I mean and you Martin got there. some
0: WWF you know, dudes. They're here, both man. Big dudes.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we, we come in all sizes from four feet to six five. Right, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> because yeah, there's yeah, all yeah. kinds of different missions. Yeah, yeah.
2: We have the Smurf crew too. So.
0: The, <laughs> the Smurf crew. <laughs> yeah. Jason, I Rayman. think that's
1: actually that's a good one right there. Is the fact that it's not a one size fits all. It has nothing really to do with your size. You know, it's more of probably yeah. I won't dig into it because I don't know, but the, it's the mental side of it more than the the physical. I think in a lot of aspects. So that's a yeah. that's a that's kind of one of the facts to. Fight the myth right there is there isn't a one size fits all for Navy SEALs or any job.
0: Right. That's definitely definitely ninety percent mental. Yep. Well, very good. So those are two good facts to fight the myth, guys. Uh, appreciate that. Uh Charter, let's talk about you a little bit. Uh, this is the first time on the show and Brady's been through through this. We've got a line of questioning that we ask our, our new guest and uh, I'm gonna hit you with those. So yes, what's uh your earliest recollection of shooting a firearm?
2: I think I got my first gun when I was four years old. It was a, a twenty two. My uncle taught me how to shoot between my uncle and grandpa and i uh, used to take me hunting all the time.
0: Nice. Now do you yeah, still have I, that you still have that one?
2: I do still have it. Nice. Well, so I, I started shooting at a young age and uh I've always been into guns and blowing stuff up so being a being a cell was a perfect fit job for me. I was I was one of the lucky people that, uh, got to do what they love to do for most of their, or a good portion of their life. Right. So and now I'm continuing on with teaching shooting now, so.
0: Obviously you, uh, were in the military, you're in the Navy. You, you went in at 19, is that right? Yes, sir. When did you know you wanted to be a Navy SEAL?
2: Probably when I was like eight years old. Really? My dad, my dad was in the Navy for like eight years. He wasn't a SEAL. He was a jet engine mechanic, but he had a couple buddies that were team guys. And they used to come over to the house and, uh tell vietnam stories all the time so i think from from hearing those stories and stuff it kind of fit what i was interested in and i think i decided way back then i definitely wanted to be some type of special forces and, and i ended up going with the seals because i thought they were did the coolest job and do a little bit of everything
0: right now have you met gary o'neill
2: gary o'neill
0: you had not met gary uh, yet he's a uh,
2: oh yeah yeah i think i did
0: yeah, Me, uh, yeah, former Special Forces dude, um, uh, Green Beret. Was yeah. that what he was, Green Beret? Yeah, yep, I think he I was met, on the armor 7.
2: I think I met him at the Axelson Grand Opening. Okay. Was he there for that? Yeah.
0: I yeah. um, can't remember.
2: I think so. He it, the he's, I think so.
0: No. he's been on yep. the, the show before, um, but he's a former, you know, he did Vietnam, and he's been all kinds of, he's a crazy dude. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, he's funny. I, did, I, did, I sat around the uh, had some beers with him in Menden, Nevada.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were
1: staying at John Wayne's old house for that weekend. Yep. Yeah, it was a good time.
0: Uh, when it comes to pop culture, what is your go-to, uh, whether it's a movie, a TV show, a uh, video game? I know you don't play video games, uh, magazine, uh, whatever it may be um, that's firearms-related.
2: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big movie guy, so uh, I, I watch a lot of movies, but... Um, I know just classics, uh, anywhere from Predator to Platoon to all the old Vietnam movies, Hamburger Hill, all that stuff.
0: Yeah? Nice. What's your, uh, what's your favorite of those? If you were to sit down and watch one right now, which one would it be? I'd say one of my
2: favorite movies is Tombstone.
0: Tombstone. <laughs> which yeah. has, we get a lot yeah. of that. Didn't you say that, Brady? That was my answer. That was Not your answer? Yeah. yeah.
2: Yep. That's exactly uh, what I said. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite movies and uh, a lot of one-liners in there.
0: Yeah, there yes. is. <laughs>
2: There's there's a lot of good ones.
0: How are you with the wheel Uh, gun?
2: I've actually been practicing with them a lot. I love lever action and the old cowboy guns, but yeah, I've got a few of those. Cool. uh, I definitely enjoy shooting. Not as good as I need to be, but I've been practicing with them.
0: If uh, bucket list gun, what's your next bucket list? Whether it's a gun or piece of kit that you gotta have, want to have,
2: gotta have, or want to have,
0: gotta have, want to have. Yeah.
2: I don't know. I think I pretty much got. (laughs) everything there is um a thermal you know what i want is a a thermal that can mount on a sand or not a standalone but mounts on the front of your scope okay where where you don't have to take your scope off you can just mount it in front of it right and they're really expensive on the civilian market nowadays but, but that would be that'd probably be my next toy i'd love to have
0: anything in the works from Right on with thermal or night vision brady
2: we do not. No, we haven't
1: ventured down that road yet. Okay. The uh, I know the man to go talk to you though when I need some ideas. There
0: you go. Well, I know you got you guys are right. you know new new company, relatively new, four years now. Um, yep. But I mean for your selection and variety that you've got out now, you guys have done a hell of a job. So I'm not pushing you. I'm not pushing you in, but <laughs> <can't>, <laughs> just a gentle nudge. Can't wait. Yeah. yeah, can't wait for that night vision and thermal to come out. Right. All right. So, so laws be damned. Money be damned. Uh, what would you like to own? No limits. Are, like are you talk, it could be are you a vehicle. It could be a vehicle. Could be a gun. Uh, piece of kit.
2: For are you, for me?
0: Yeah, for you. Laws be damned. Money be damned. Price is no object.
2: I would love to have a, a forty acre ranch with a nice house, and little shooting facility, and and
0: like on that, that ranch, what would you around. what would you have? Laws be damned money be damned, to shoot. I would,
2: I would obviously have a nice set-up house for entertaining and for guests to stay at. And then uh, obviously I'd have some horses and dogs and probably a few cows. Yeah. Garden. Yeah. Self-supportive.
0: Self right. So I'm yeah. going to ask it again. <laughs> R- laws be damned, rules be damned, uh, money be damned, what, what gun would you own? I'll just <laughs> come out and say that. Me? Yeah. What uh, firearm would you would you own?
2: Well, I, I already have it—the six-five Creedmoor. I love it. I have a couple different ones, but uh, my new signature rifle, the Axelson just built, it's an AR six-five, and uh, it's a pretty uh pretty impressive gun. You can shoot out fifteen hundred yards with an AR.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Nice. It shoots a uh, probably a half minute half minute group.
0: Six-five Creedmoor.
2: Yep. And then, and I'm a big fan of the three-three-eight Lapua also.
0: Like that one too. Yeah. And then if you want to reach
2: really far out, the 408 the payhouse I just had one of those built, and uh, that's the long,
0: long-distance gun. Nice. What about if you could own um, a vehicle? A vehicle? Yeah. A mil- I would, uh, like a militarized vehicle. What would you?
2: <laughs> I, I would take a truck. A truck.
0: Just, that <laughs> truck. I, I,
2: I spent I spent many hours riding around in Humvees and RD thirty ones and all that. And a Humvee is the largest, smallest vehicle ever made. <laughs> right? So you it would, looks huge. It looks yeah. huge, but I barely fit in it with all my gear on. It.
0: Right? So you wouldn't yeah. want a tank or a, a F eighteen or anything like that.
2: Yeah, an F eighteen be cool. Actually, that's my bucket list is to get my pilot's license. I currently have okay. nice. wing helo pilot license.
0: Oh, you're gonna to. go with the helo?
2: Yeah, nice. I love. I've always wanted to fly helicopters. So.
0: I always wanted to fly the the Airwolf. Remember that TV yeah. show uh, <laughs> Airwolf? <laughs> uh,
2: oh yeah, Drink Hawk. Yeah, yeah. yeah, always, yeah pretty good.
0: I thought that was the coolest freaking thing ever is that helicopter. That, that was a, that
2: was a badass helicopter. Yeah, no kidding.
0: I'm sure they've come out with a more modern. I mean, that was. Geez, twenty more twenty years ago. I don't
2: know. Oh yeah, I, I still don't think they have helicopters, those my too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah,
0: <exactly. laughs> it's, it's too many too many moving parts on that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So if you could spend a hey. day at the range with anybody or any group of people, whether they're fictional, uh, real, dead, alive, who would it be? If you go, back I like in the day at
2: the, I'd spend a day at the range with anybody. Uh, my favorite place to be. So,
0: just anybody, huh? Just come on out. <laughs> yeah,
2: just good, good people that uh, want to learn.
0: Very good. So, like speak-
2: teaching is probably one of my favorite things to do. So, I love, I love teaching people.
0: But if you could like just pull somebody from history or maybe from fiction, who would, who would you, uh, who would you like to bring on the range?
2: Probably a uh, Doc Holliday or Wilder. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you and Brady, y'all, you must be friends <laughs> right? or something, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man.
1: Y, I'm pretty sure I said why too, so yep. uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh,
0: yeah, I think you yeah, said Doc, the OK Corral, the gang from the OK yeah. Corral. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Doc, Doc Holliday seemed like he'd be a fun person to hang out with. Well, he yeah. does in the
0: movies anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's cool. So, uh, so uh, Charlie, like um, talk about your school real quick, and how people can get in touch with you and. And schedule some time with you on the range
2: yeah we have a our website you can visit charlie Uh, we have our schedule on there where and when we're training we have a range here in normandy texas you can come out here obviously that's probably the most cost effective but we also travel anywhere in the u.s so uh if you if you got a range you can shoot at and book six or more people obviously you have to cover our flight and lodging when we're there but uh yeah, we teach long-range pistol and carving courses, and uh, we can travel anywhere and do it as long as you got a range. We can bring targets. We just need land and a place to set up a 1,000-yard range for the long-range stuff.
0: Cool. And your rates and everything are on the site, or do they, they got to call you to get rates?
2: Yeah, they can call for rates. Okay. Obviously, we can work, work with people on rates.
0: And do you have a local place there in Texas that you, uh, <clears throat> that you do training? There's we all do. We have travel. a
2: so my partner Philip Hobson has a he's got a thousand acre ranch right down the street from our house
0: mm-hmm.
2: and we we built a thousand yard range out there and we just finished up our pistol carving range so okay. it's coming along nice so it's a nice setup beautiful range nice rolling green grass hills and how many day course is that our long range course is uh you can do it in one day but it's a long day so it's better to break it down into two days okay it's a more relaxed atmosphere and then uh Eventually, we're going to offer exotic extreme adventures, so you'll be able to come out. If you want to, we'll have a menu you can choose from. You'll be able to shoot many guns, or do an explosive breacher course or, or do thermal night vision hunts. Or We have a ton of exotic animal ranches out here, so you can pretty much shoot anything here that you can shoot in Africa. Cool. So we're setting up that's a,
0: expensive as hell. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, those animals definitely get pricey, but it's cheaper than going to Africa to do
0: it. <laughs> right? uh, that's true. So if I wanted to come do your two-day uh, long-range course, what uh, what am I looking at price-wise? For the long-range course, it's yeah.
2: about $1,000 for the two-day course.
0: Okay. And do you supply the guns and the ammo and all that with that?
2: that? We do not supply the ammo. We can supply the guns if you want, and we do have ammo available to buy on site.
0: Okay. About how many rounds are we talking about for this two-day course?
2: For the two-day course, it's about 200 rounds.
0: Okay. So about 100 a day?
2: Yep, about 100 a hundred day. Well, the first day is when we're breaking into two days. The first day is basically gun set up and getting your hundred yard zero. That's probably the the most time consuming is teaching the class and then getting that mental checklist set up and then obviously getting your gun set up. Right. We have a we have a max of uh, ten people per class just so we can get some one on one time, and then and then we'll split you up so you'll spot. You'll split it. You're partnering up with another guy. You'll shoot a thousand yards while the other guy spots, and then you flip flop. Because be honest with you, you probably learn more spotting than you do shooting.
0: Right. So if um, I got a three hundred eight, is that a good rifle for a thousand yards? Twenty inch three hundred eight.
2: Yep, three hundred eight. Uh, you can shoot out to a thousand with it. Obviously, it's not as good as a six Creedmoor, but yeah, you can definitely you can definitely do it.
0: Okay. Uh, what kind of load do you recommend for that three hundred eight? For the .308? Three,
2: mm-hmm. Uh, the, anything in the boat tail hollow points, like one sixty eight grain, those a pretty pretty good,
0: pretty accurate. About one sixty eight. That's what I was shooting this this past weekend. I was shooting um actually I was shooting the Freedom Munitions Boar Buster 168 grain uh, three oh eight. Nice. And it was it was really accurate. Um I don't know if you can yep. see this or not. I'll pull my camera up.
2: Here. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's a good is good, that a hundred yards. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that yeah. one was at like one fifteen. That yeah. was when I just uh, threw the scope on it and was just seeing where it was at. That was my yeah. first three shots. Yeah,
2: that's a good gun, good shooting gun. A 308's eight's a good a good round. Uh thousand yards, you're probably
0: maxing that thing out. That was at yeah. uh, like three twenty. I don't know if you can see that or not. Yes.
2: Oh uh, yeah. Yep. Definitely a probably a half minute gun or less. All
0: right, right in there. Of course, that's me shooting too. <laughs> you know, it, it could shoot better uh, than that. <laughs>
2: uh, that ain't bad shooting. That's just no, not right. at all.
0: That's me shooting right there. But uh, you guys can go to our Instagram and Facebook page. I've got those pictures uh, posted there. Uh, that was me taking the Nordic Components 308 20 inch um, with the uh, Ride On USA's Fibre um, 25 Mod 7. And, nice.
2: Yeah, we're, uh, we're actually working on doing a 16 inch 6.5 right now, AR.
0: Oh, nice yeah.
2: well I did some shooting on uh, I shot the prototype a couple weeks ago and yeah we're shooting it so under 10 inch group at a thousand with it so it's pretty impressive for a 16 inch barrel that's yeah. a
0: 16 inch barrel at a thousand huh
2: yeah so yeah basically the the Finnish military is looking for a gun they can do close quarters combat with and still shoot out to eight to a thousand yards yeah. so we're, we're we're
0: working on one of those right now yeah, so you guys also design rifles.
2: Yeah, Charlie Mike Precision does it do it right now. I'm working with Axelson Tactical. Oh, okay. They built my signature rifle. We're and then I have Jeff. a couple other guys. Yep, yeah, with Jeff. And then uh, Brad Stair with Performance Rifles. He's he's from Texas, but he's out of Utah right now. Yeah. He obviously built. He's a very knowledgeable guy when it comes to guns and ammo.
0: Very cool. Now, you're coming to to a Big 3 with Modern Spartan Systems, right? Yes, sir. Big 3. I so I'll will be s- there. I'll see you down there for that. That'll be a good time. This will be your first time down there, right?
2: Yes sir, first time, be awesome.
0: Yeah, you're going to enjoy it. We have a good time down there. looking forward to that. Yeah, I
2: grew up in Georgia, so I've uh, spent quite a bit of time in Florida.
0: A like Georgia Florida. boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very oh, cool. Yeah. Um, Brady? Yep. You got anything to add?
1: I'm good. Just sitting here listening and taking it in.
0: Now, you guys, uh, I saw a post that you made the other day. You've got something new coming, something secret squirrelish. Uh, is that something you talk about yet?
1: Uh, I don't think it's been announced yet, so you just got to stay tuned. How soon? Well, uh,
0: How soon till it's announced?
1: It uh, uh, should be later today.
0: Later today?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Well, I think we should go ahead and, uh, and talk about it on the podcast, because this isn't going to go out until late so Yeah,
1: so the big push right now tonight. is uh, uh, we're, finally, we're launching a whole new website, so um, make it easier for everybody to get through and find instructions, find manuals, find radicals. Uh, get in contact with us. So we kind of reworked over the last two or three months our entire website. So uh, we're finally launching that today, and then uh, we also have some of our new products that will be up on there. Um, we uh, we have our micro red dot and our magnifier that are out now that are going to be up on there. Um, we also have some new mounting systems, some QD rings and QD mounts that will be out there too. So kind of a new launch of some products and a new launch
2: of the website. So very cool. So you guys, so your micro red dot is that the one for the pistol?
1: uh no that one's uh that one's uh not like an rmr style that one right there there's one of the very first ones marty's got so it's our micro red dot with our 3x magnifier um Mm -hmm. those are now available to the public selling those on the website um and then we have our qd mounts that will be uh one inch 30 mil and 34 mil rings that we will be selling
2: nice and and i took these
0: out i took these out too this weekend uh, and was getting them sighted in as well. Um, red dots, is there a different uh, different procedure or anything for sighting in red dots?
2: Uh, nope, pretty much the same. But uh, on your red dots, obviously, kind of like the first circle, first and second focal plane, you kind of want a red dot with the smallest minute of angle as possible. Like some of them are like, what what is it, three to five minute angle dot, and then some of them yeah. are like one.
1: We do a two MOA dot in ours because of that. We want it to be tight and precise. Um, realistically, you're not shooting, especially without the magnifier, you're not shooting out past 50 to 100 yards of the red dot anyway. So we want a small enough red dot to be accurate and precise, but yet big enough that it's a quick acquisition. You can pick it up and find it really quickly. So the, uh, we, we settled in at two MOA for our red dot. Yeah, well, that's a good to us.
0: The intensity obviously can change um, that a little bit too. I always put mine down on the lowest. I like it to be really small. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, most easily, people just immediately. It's still easily picked up too on that. Even on a bright day, you can still see it on that. Yeah. That faint setting. Everybody cranks it
1: to the highest power, which I always go to the highest that's – or the lowest that you can actually still see for whatever application you're doing, and that's going to give you the clearest and crispest dot. So. Right. Because it will – you know, obviously, the you got it on bright. The brightest setting in a dark room, it's going to starburst on you a little bit. So mm-hmm. you want to match up your brightness setting to kind of the light conditions.
2: goes back to the old saying, ain't small, miss small. Right.
0: There you go. Exactly. I think I read that on somebody's website. <laughs> Maybe Charlie Mike's. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So your website is com? Yes, sir. Okay.
2: And so, then I and that'll take you to all our social media stuff too, Facebook and YouTube and all that.
0: Okay, the YouTubers. Um, yeah. So speaking of Instagram and social medias, I've got a giveaway that I'm going to be doing right now. Um, this is the is it what month is this? So last month's type, September. September. So. August, I think it's July's Tactical Squirrel Box that I'm giving away. Uh, You guys know which one it is. I I mentioned it a couple episodes ago, and what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to go to Smith & Bradley, uh, the watch company, where we had uh, Jeremy Smith on, and uh, we did a post on his Instagram page of me and the watch, and there was like two inset photos too showing different levels of luminosity for that thing. Um, and you're supposed to go there and leave your comments and say "Leadhead was here. And the winner of that tactical squirrel monthly box is deer. It's D E E R E. Fisherman, deer E. Fisherman, or he just spelt deer wrong. I don't know. You're the winner, deer fisherman. So, uh, shoot me an E an email talking at gmail.com and uh, give me your, uh, contact information i'll forward that on to casey over at Antiris, which he's going to be in charge of getting you that uh, tactical squirrel monthly subscription box so congratulations and thanks to everybody who took part in that uh as i mentioned last week's episode we're going to be giving away another tactical squirrel box and that one is going to be a random pick from insta not instagram but itunes uh go there leave us some feedback rate us and uh, I'm going to randomly pick uh, one of you guys who goes and, and does that to win the next Tactical Score monthly subscription box. All right. I forgot to, uh, I forgot to thank our sponsors in the beginning of the show. So, uh, Brady, sorry about that. <laughs> good, I see how it is. Good thing you're on the show, right? Um, so I'm going to do that now. I'm going to thank all our sponsors. Uh, Frontier Tactical. Check them out at tactical.com. They're the makers of the Warlock system. Who's playing the drums back there? What's that? I said, who was playing the drums? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Frontier Tactical, you guys, uh, go check them out. Uh, the Warlock system, the multi-caliber adapter that you can put on your AR-15. That will allow you to shoot up to uh, 90 different calibers now, I believe it is. And uh, they even have their own line of AR-15s now, uh, the FT line that comes standard with the Warlock system on it. Uh, So you can go ahead, get your uh, AR-15 set up to shoot up to 90 different calibers right out of the box. Check them out at FrontierTactical.com. And um, Modern Spartan Systems. Optimize your firearms with Modern Spartan Systems. Uh, They're lubes, oils, greases, cleaners, and they even have engine products. They got a TVT engine oil additive that you guys know that I've been adding to the lead sled. And I'm over 307,000 miles using that TVT engine oil additive. Makes it run smoother, quieter, and it has increased the gas mileage as well. So you guys check them out, modernspartansystems.com. Have you used that engine oil additive yet, either one of you guys? I
2: haven't. I'm actually going to put it in my truck on my next oil change.
0: Okay. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna love it, man. What uh, what kind of truck you got?
2: I have a Dodge diesel.
0: Dodge diesel. What? How many miles you got on it?
2: Uh, just one over thirty five thousand.
0: One over thirty five thousand. Okay. Yeah. I'm not you, even broke in yet. Yeah, you're gonna like it. It's gonna definitely, of course, with a diesel. I mean, you're getting pretty good gas mileage anyway, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So just what? Keep an eye on it. You're probably gonna notice a difference in your gas mileage too. Uh, uh, I think
2: it took it took me two tanks of gas to drive to. Shelley, Arizona, which is like fourteen hours.
0: <laughs> oh wow, it's not bad at all. Of course, those are big tanks too, aren't they? Uh, it's a twenty-eight gallon, I think. Twenty-eight. Okay, lead sled's about twenty-five gallons. I got a ninety-eight Yukon. Uh-huh. it does pretty good.
2: Oh yeah. How are you? Yeah, are you I use the. Go I ahead. use the modern. I use that accuracy oil on my barrels. It actually it actually improves your grouping after you get it sucked in there. I was going to ask impressive. you.
0: Yeah, uh, you're used, so you're using their products also. That's good in your in your rifles. Um, have you noticed an increase in the the speed also?
2: Yes, it, it increases the your muzzle velocity, and like I said, it probably tightened your group up. At 100 yards it, on one of the guns, it tightened it up probably an eighth of an inch.
0: Wow, very good. I, d- I haven't done the measurements on mine, but I know that after I started using it, my groups did get tighter on it. Yep. So, um, they've got a, speaking of modern spark systems, they've got a, a competition, uh, not really a competition, but, uh, what's it called when you, a challenge, that's what it's called. Mm. <laughs> they've issued a, <laughs> a challenge. Um, have you seen that yet? I um,
2: uh, I haven't, I think, uh, I think Marcus sent it to me. I haven't. Checked it out
0: yet? Well, here I'll check it out with you. We'll do it together. So uh it says, "Hello, shooters! You are formally invited to both take part in a massive nationwide test, emphasizing accuracy improvement and extend the um, and extend this invitation to your friends, fellow shooters and followers." Um, basically, what they're doing is, if you go and you sign up for this uh, accuracy test, use their products. Um, and, you know, he's got it all laid out. He's got some um, PDF forms here that go through and tell you how to apply their stuff, what to do, shoot your gun before using it, shoot your gun after using it, um, take pictures, send them in to him, um, follow his procedures there, and they're giving away prizes. Uh, what the nice. prizes are, yeah, he's not announced, but I'm sure they are going to be some nice stuff that they're going to be giving away. But that's just a fun thing to do. Um, oh, yeah. Go out and see how accurate you can be. And... Use their product, and you definitely are going to, like Charlie said, I mean, you're going to see a difference uh, in your grouping and your accuracy. So, um, they probably should have that on their website. So, if you guys want to take part, it's called the Big Accuracy Test. Look for that on their website. Uh, if you're interested in taking part in that, email me. I'll send you the information uh, late at gmail.com. Right on optics, the official optics of Brady talking lead there you go (laughs) and uh, as you just heard they are getting ready to release a whole new website Uh, they've got some new mounting options for you guys some quick detach mounts which uh, i'm gonna make sure you get those in the mail to me definitely gonna put those on my guns (laughs) Um, and how are the range finders coming brady
1: nothing yet we're still uh we're still playing with a few different ones so we'll uh we'll keep you posted as we get closer
0: okay so you're still working on them that's good that's good yep and then of course the binoculars uh I'm just still head over heels in love with your binoculars um, I was using those for my 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 range finding spot and scope nice. <laughs> as I was shooting this weekend uh, on my on my red dots and my shorter stuff uh, with the the 5x25 I didn't need it obviously it was it was doing better than the, the binoculars, but man, yeah. those binoculars are freaking crystal clear. Have you seen them yet, Charlie? <laughs> oh yeah. I saw them up at, uh, up in Charlotte. Jeez. Very they're nice. amazing. Uh, Love those things. Oh, Talk yeah. about your binoculars, Brady.
1: Uh, so the first ones we came out with, they're, uh, they're an h d e d glass, um, which is high density, not high definition, but high density, uh, extra dispersion glass. So you get a really, really super crisp, super clear image, um we did a 10 by 42 our our kind of aim for that was lightweight durable um really aimed at the hunting market and being able to strap them on and hike around all day uh, it's a magnesium alloy frame um so it's super lightweight super strong i mean we parked Humvees on top of them we've pretty much done anything you can think to do them to break them um they're super strong so the uh that was kind of our first offering is a 10 by 42 and then uh, we're working on some other ones that we'll we'll talk to you guys about a little bit later
0: and your your Mod Seven line, did you come out with any more in your Mod Sevens? I know that the last time we talked, you were in the works on.
1: Yep we uh, we haven't released it yet for purchasing, but we're going to be putting it on the website here pretty soon. We have a one to five by twenty four illuminated, um, really aimed at what we're calling our quick acquisition reticle. Um, we've had a lot of our three gun guys using it in the, in the last two or three months, putting it through spaces. So that one will, uh, we'll be out here soon. So we'll definitely reach out to you and get that release date up.
0: Very cool. Very cool.
2: Excellent. Hey, Brett. Yep. Go ahead. Hey, are, are you going to be doing a spot and scope?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I think me and Marty kind of talked about that last time a little bit. The, uh, We've been testing and doing some different spotting scope um, research and development on them. So the biggest thing for us is we just, we won't release anything until it's ready. We have an unlimited lifetime warranty. We don't ever want anybody to ever have to use it. So for us, until we can put it through its paces and beat the hell out of it and get it exactly the way we want it, we kind of hold off. So um, we have a lot of new stuff in the works over the next three to six months that we'll be releasing. So that will definitely be on the agenda.
2: Nice. And what uh, are you going to, are you looking at putting reticles in there to match the scopes also?
1: Um, so, yeah, that's that's another part of what we looked at is do we want kind of just a, a blank one? And we've been doing some testing on doing some, like, either mill or doing some rainy reticles in there, too, so, to help call distances and help with stuff like that. So we're looking at kind of the hunting and or the tactical versions of doing a few of them. So
2: Yeah, if you could get one that would match the reticle and the scopes, that would be awesome for, for calling in and stuff. And I don't know what different right. reticles you're looking at for your scopes yet, but... uh.
1: Yeah, to be able to match those two up makes, makes life a lot easier.
2: Oh, yeah. That would be awesome.
0: There you go. I mean, you got a request from a professional sniper right there, man. Right. Maybe you come out with a Charlie Melton spotting scope. <laughs> CMP spotting scope. There you go. Right. Very nice. X-Steel Targets. X-Steel Targets. The best, most affordable AR-500 Steel Targets on the market today are at xsteeltargets.com. They've got for your recreational shooter, they've got for your law enforcement military, they've got for your competition shooters, you name it, they've got a target to fit your needs at xsteeltargets.com. And if you don't see one on there that fits your needs, get in touch with Bud because he can custom make them for you. AR-500 Steel Targets, steel Targets. Boom. Glock, the official carry of talking lead. That's right. I rock the Glock, Charlie. I do the uh, the Glock 23 and the Glock 27, uh, Gen 4 and a Gen 3. The 27 is a Gen 4, and the the 23 uh, is a Gen 3. But since I've shot the Gen fives, thinking about trading up. <laughs> they're uh, they're really good shooting guns. Okay. Thanks what do you carry what's your your preference on carry
2: me charlie i'm a i'm a sig guy
0: you like the sig huh
2: i do have a glock i have a glock 17 gen 4.
0: what's your but, uh, preferred uh, sig
2: i carry the, uh, the 226 right now i have a customized 226 but uh i'm actually fixing to get me one of those uh 320 x5 models i shot that up in uh Solo, I'm pretty impressed with it.
0: Yeah. So, are you not afraid that uh, the drop test? Have you seen the drop test where they they go off?
2: Yeah, I did see that. I, I don't think I don't think the X5 does. I think it's just on the regular models. But I try not to drop my gun.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. That's funny. <laughs> All right, guys, that uh, that does it for another episode of the Talking Lead Show. Charlie, Brady, I appreciate you guys uh, being our professors for the day in uh, our part two of the optics class.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yes,
2: sir. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we're looking forward to having you guys back for part three where we're going to get into uh, even more over-my-head kind of stuff. Uh <laughs> As far as uh, shooting goes, and and rain, who's knocking? That's killing me. Who's knocking?
2: Yeah, that was me, sir.
0: Okay, I thought somebody was like knocking on your door. Like, like, that. like go answer your door, <laughs> <Yeah>. man.
2: <laughs> yeah. It might be Memphis. He might be wanting in.
0: It could be. <laughs> and as always, lead heads. Keep your loved ones close. And, and your, your firearms,
2: your... firearms closer. closer.
0: That's probably as good yeah. as we're going to get with a delay. So <laughs> we'll yeah, we'll go with yeah, that yeah, one.
2: That's tough. And your basic principles of shooting closer and
1: never stop chasing your pursuit of precision.